It's great to be with you all. Um, it is a joy to get to come to other churches in our presbytery and to get to preach because I, I do college ministry. It doesn't mean that means that I'm not uh, quarantine is a harsh word, but stuck in a church every single Sunday morning having to, to to labor, which I do think is a hard and difficult calling in many ways. So I get to travel and fill pulpits and and, and preach uh, when when there's need, and this is a, a joy for me to get to do this. Uh, I've loved the five years that we've had doing RUF at UW-Milwaukee. And for those of you who don't, don't know who, what RUF is, it's just like, as Josh said, it's the college ministry of this denomination. And so there's nothing real snazzy to it. It's Bible-believing and Bible-preaching. And uh, maybe one of the unique things is they RUF sends ordained pastors to, to campuses to do the ministry, uh, which is what... Um, I am, and what, other, what Danny is, who's at UW-Madison. There's only two RUFs in Wisconsin. I don't think that makes RUF way better. In fact, I don't think we're the coolest ministry on campus. I know there are other cooler ministries than ours at UWM. But nonetheless, God has been working and is faithful uh, uh, to his people and to his church there. And so thank you for that introduction. Thank you for having me this morning. Last thank you. This church also gives and like financially and, and prays for RUF at UW-Milwaukee. So... Thank you also for doing that. It's much appreciated. This morning, if you see, or this evening, afternoon, uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles. Again, that's Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33. I'll read the passage, I'll pray for us, and we'll jump into it. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word. I do pray humbly that you would allow us to hear from you this afternoon. May we see the beauty of your son as he is offered to us in the gospel. May we receive him and rest on him. Please help us to understand your word and please give us your Holy Spirit so that we may do this. May all the cares and the concerns and the anxieties and the burdens of life be set aside for for these minutes so that we may hear your voice. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Approximately 462 years ago uh, marks the death of a man named Thomas Cranmer. Maybe you've heard of this gentleman before. Uh, But who was he and what did he do? These are the two questions. Thomas Cranmer, who was he? He was born in 1489 
and is most well known as the Archbishop of Canterbury. He was in many ways responsible for shaping the Protestant church in England. He was godly, he was well-read, he was pastoral, and unlike some of his contemporaries, other reformers, he believed in a gentle and persuasive approach, not a violent one. He actually, Christians still today read many of the things that he wrote. He wrote uh, this thing called the Book of Common Prayer. He also contributed to this book of homilies, which taught the supremacy of Scripture and this doctrine called justification by faith alone, which is like a hallmark doctrine for, uh, for Christians, for Protestants particularly. Additionally, he wrote what became the 39 Articles, which was the uh, Anglican Statement of Faith. He's a pretty solid legacy, but one dark spot in his life occurred later on. For many years, while Cranmer had, he had the protection of King Henry VIII when he was in power. And that continued during the reign of Edward VI. But when Mary, who is also known as Bloody Mary, took the throne, Protestants had to flee, for they were being persecuted. And uh, she reversed much of the Protestant influence in England. She imprisoned Thomas Cranmer and his two friends, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, and they were condemned for treason. Latimer and Ridley were immediately taken for execution and were burned at the stake. And Cranmer was forced to watch them die. Sometime between January and February of 1556, however, Cranmer recanted his Protestant beliefs, which means he he publicly said, I actually do not believe these things. I'm going to stay with the Church of Rome to, to evade or to not have to be burned at the stake, right? So the story goes, he was required to explain himself at a church called University Church in Oxford. And to the surprise of virtually everyone present, including the queen, he denounced his recantation and denied papal authority, knowing full well it would mean imminent death. He knew that he would be burned at the stake for saying these things. Yet he did it publicly in front of everyone. So right before he was literally dragged from the pulpit, he declared that he would... Uh, put his right hand in the fire first, because that was the hand that he signed his recantation. He was taken to the same stake that his friends were burned at just five months earlier. And as he approached it, as it was lit, he kept his word and he put his right hand into the fire first. And he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is the same prayer that Stephen prayed as he was stoned in the book of Acts. So, okay, the, the two questions I asked in the beginning. Who was Thomas Cranmer and what did he do? Well, he was a, a Christian pastor. He was the Archbishop of Canterbury. What did he do? He influenced the Church of England in many positive ways. He was not perfect. He struggled with doubt and fear, as we saw. But in the end, because of his conviction of who Jesus was and what Jesus did, he followed Jesus even though it meant suffering, even though it meant death. And essentially... That is the the big idea or the thrust of the passage that we're going to look at this afternoon. Jesus is the suffering Christ whom we are called to follow. That is the idea from this passage. Jesus is the suffering Christ whom we are called to follow. And the question for us is, will we follow him? My two points that we will work through are the same two questions that we asked of Thomas Cranmer. Who was Jesus And what did Jesus come to do? Uh, The Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, and it was written purposefully. 
uh, with, with an agenda, with a plan. Mark knew what he was doing when he wrote this. And actually, this passage functions as like a big hinge for the entire book of Mark, the whole gospel. Uh, the first half of the gospel of Mark, if you've read this and maybe you've picked up on this, Mark was intentionally trying to get his readers to wrestle with this question, who is Jesus? Right? And Jesus has revealed himself as to who he is in the first half. And the second half of the Gospel of Mark, Mark is trying to reveal what did Jesus come to do? And our passage is the center bolt down the middle of that hinge that kind of gives us both answers to that question. So first we're going to look at who is Jesus. Look again at verse 27 if you have it in front of you. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? I love how direct Jesus is with his disciples. He's been patiently teaching and demonstrating to them his person and his mission, and now he wants to draw out of them this straightforward confession so that there's no ambiguity It's not clear as mud. He wants it to be clear as day as to who he is and what he is doing. So think about how he's revealed himself so far in the first eight chapters. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. And people say, who is this? What is this? A teaching with authority. In Mark chapter 2, when Jesus heals that paralytic, if you remember the story, who was his friends climbed up on the roof because they couldn't get in the front door, and they lowered him down into Jesus. And Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And, people, and he actually claims divine authority in that passage. In Mark chapter 4, when Jesus calms the storm by simply speaking to the waves, the disciples fear and they say, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey Jesus. Two chapters later in Mark chapter 6, King Herod is wrestling with this same question. Who is Jesus? I think he must be John the Baptist, who I just killed, back from the dead. I mean, Mark is doing this in this gospel, trying to get his readers to wrestle with, who is Jesus? This is his purpose. Uh, John Calvin, a a commentator, a pastor, uh, 16th century, wrote this. Jesus' design in this question, who do people say that I am, was to confirm his disciples in the true faith so that they would not be tossed about amidst various reports. Jesus actually does this in two stages, if you notice in, the, in, the, in, your, in your passage, right? He says, who do people say that I am? And then he says, but who do you say that I am? First, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing about me? What's the word on the street? Look at verse 28. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. One thing that was clear to people in Jesus' day is that Jesus was a prophet. He was doing things that other prophets do. John the Baptist was a big deal. If you, Jesus himself even said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest man that ever lived. It's very important. And Elijah, he was a big deal. He did more than just speak words. Elijah, if you look in the book of 1 Kings, he prayed And it stopped raining for three and a half years. Elijah was fed by ravens. Elijah raised a widow's son who had died. Elijah called down fire from heaven to burn 100 soldiers who were sent from King Ahaziah. He parted a river. It was an impressive resume, and Elijah was an impressive person. But one thing these two men have in common is that they are just men. 
People look at Jesus and they saw that he was just a man. He was a prophet who did some cool things, but he was just a man. They missed the obvious reality about who Jesus was. This last winter, I woke up in the morning and uh, it struck me that it was a bit colder in my house than was, it usually was. This was back, I think, when it was in January, so it was cold outside. And our house was built in 1925, and our old leaded glass windows do leak a bit. And so it's normally kind of cold in our house, but this struck me as ab- abnormally cold. And so I put on my slippers, I pour my cup of coffee, and I head downstairs to the basement. Uh, I actually went to look at the thermostat to see how cold it was. It was 53 degrees in the house. And I'm like, okay, that's why I'm cold right now. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go down to the basement and take a look at this furnace, because I know what I'm doing when it comes to furnaces. No, no clue. And like, I can work on cars. I can swing a hammer and like do something with some nails and some wood. Uh, but when it comes to furnaces, I know generally, like in principle, how they work. Right? We have a, like a boiler system, so there's gas that burns and it heats water, and the hot water pumps around the house to the radiators, and that's what makes the house warm. Right? I know that much. But how does this thing? Why is it not working? I don't know that. And so I'm looking at it, and there it is, you know, like, okay, I see the furnace, looks like it should be working. I'm like, well, maybe it doesn't have power. And so I walk over to the circuit breaker box, and now, nope, dang it, it's got power. I'm like, well, let me look at the gas line, because maybe that got turned off somehow in the night. Nope, the gas line is still on. Okay, now I'm really, like, running out of ideas here. And I'm like, kind of hold, you know, I'm doing one of these, I'm looking at it. And I notice what looks to be this light switch just on the side of the furnace, about two feet off the ground. And I have a two-year-old who's about two feet off the ground, if, if, this is, if you're starting to connect these, these things. And sure enough, that light switch was down. And I'm like, well, maybe that needs to be up. And so I flip it on and... You know, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, there it is. Fixed my furnace. How about that? That was, a, that was a cheap one right there. But for a moment, for a few minutes, I was missing the obvious reality about why the heat was not working, why the furnace was off. It's kind of silly, but in a sense, you could, if you were in Jesus' day, from our perspective, we would want to say to the people, you are missing the obvious reality about who Jesus is. He's forgiven people. He's raised people from the dead. He's healed people who have been lame from birth. This is not a mere man we are looking at. This must be God in the flesh. They were missing the obvious reality. So, Jesus is ready to move on to stage two now. But who do you say that I am? Look at verse 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So Jesus... Again, he turns to his disciples after the first, who do people say that I am? And he asks them, who do you say that I am? You plural. And here we have our favorite uh, apostle, the apostle Peter, uh, step forward and say, as representative of the rest of the 12, the 11, and say, you are the Christ. It's a small word, but the word the. It's the definite article in that sentence. You are the Christ. In other words, you are not just some other prophet. prophet. 